Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. What we're going to talk about today, our, our, our new series that I'm really excited about is in the Beatitudes, okay? And this is a really great piece of scripture, but there's so many good things that we need to know and understand about it, okay? So we all have different expectations of that, that worship time and what Kevin does with our band and those kinds of things. And it, it has a lot to do with maybe the church you grew up in and sort of your paradigm and your experiences, right? So you're, you're looking and you're listening through a different lens and experiences and, and uh it's just the way we're designed as people. And then uh, the, this time where, where um, we crack open God's word, there's a lot of ways to do that. And, and there's, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's no doubt that, that I, I understand that it gets discussed at lunchtime and other times, you know, a lot. Um, and, and I'm great with that. But what I want to encourage all of you to, to know is that... Um, that we're, we're all bringing all kinds of stuff here. And this piece of scripture, I think, is going to contribute to helping us all uh, get on the same page, so to speak, because we're all in a different place in our journey um, with the Lord. In particular, um, uh, we'll, we'll get into it, but, but the, the, the method or the, the, the strategy uh, to me is about speaking to the disciple, the, the, the follower of Christ. And then we know there are lots of folks in our lives that, 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 that are here that, that, that we invite by invitation. So lots of folks come and you're, maybe you're here for the first time or you were here last Sunday for the first time, right? Uh, every church across Tucson, every church across the planet, pretty much on Resurrection Sunday, your attendance doubles or more, which is what ours did, Right? And, um, and then this, this week, it, it tends to be kind of go back to normal or even maybe below normal somewhat. somewhat. And there's a reason for that. And I'm not critical of, the, of, of folks that come and are like, we're going on Resurrection Sunday. And, uh, and they're not as motivated maybe to come to, uh, to other times. So we try awful hard to inspire, to motivate, to challenge, to uplift you and to, and to press you a little bit, you know, because... Um, uh, because of what's at stake, right? So, as, as we look through that lens, let me, let me take it even further. You know, man, I love, actually, baseball. I love, in particular, there's an aspect of baseball, professional baseball, and lots of other kind of baseball, that I really, really love. I think it's part of the reason why I love it. It's called play-by-play commentary, Okay, so here's the thing about play-by-play. So you can, uh, um, when you're listening to a professional baseball game, um, the commentator is hired specifically to describe the game as it's unfolding. And they, uh, they are full of information about the game and the statistics. And they're really great, rehearsed and practiced over time in just describing every detail from how the pitcher winds up. Uh, they'll, they'll give you details of what uniforms uh, they're all wearing. You know, every professional team now has about four to six sets of uniforms that they wear and combinations and hats and home team versus, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they know information about all the players and their batting averages and their, and their, their weaknesses and their skills regarding, uh, you, you know, um, um, their offense and their defense. Pitch 
pitchers. Uh, they know everything about umpires, coaches, trainers, injuries. I mean, so they can describe in detail the game and you get sucked into all this information, right? And, and I, th- I think it's... Uh, uh, it depends a lot on that commentator, but man, I just get really pulled in. I can just lose myself. I would rather listen to it than watch it a lot of times. And so, so you know what I end up doing? A lot of times when I'm watching it, I turn off the sound and then I turn on the radio, play-by-play commentary, because that guy is, 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 is amazing. And I listen to it that way. I can even go to a live game and listen to it that way, and it's amazing. Because when you're in a live game, you don't get any of that. Oh, I love that kind of thing. And then they add this next feature to it that makes it even better. They pull in this guy, he's called Color Commentating. And he is a former professional baseball player. And he's generally been somebody who's been really good and he's retired now. And he's got the ability then to add his personal experience to the whole thing, right? And, uh, you know, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they pull in this guy named Mark Grace. He's a World Series, you know, uh, 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 first baseman, had great hitting records. They, uh, um, Luis Gonzalez, they bring in those kind of guys, even Randy Johnson, all right? And they get to um, talk about the game through their lens of being able to face a pitcher who's throwing the ball 96 miles an hour and they're trying to hit it. Or, or, or anything, anything. And so it adds all this really great experience if you follow the game long enough and you, you, you go through the scorebook and everything. I don't know. It just, I, I just really love it. Part of the reason why I really love it is because I grew up playing baseball, going to baseball. My dad loved baseball. My family loved baseball. I just been to a lot of baseball games. My son, you know, so it, it, it's just a part of my life. So it's influenced why I really appreciate baseball. And, and so when uh, I know there are those of you, maybe you're, you're one of these or you know somebody who's like, oh gosh, baseball, that's like, ugh. I can't take it. It takes so long. And it's just like, God, oh, it's dry and boring. See, some of you are shaking your heads. The door's back there. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I, I didn't, I sort of meant it, but not really, not, no. Look, I married one of those people. Okay, Linda, yeah. She's like, oh, it takes so long, you know. But you know what happened to me uh, recently? Like, as recent as just a few weeks ago, Linda came home from work and she said, hey, I got, uh, I got uh, really great tickets to the Diamondbacks and um, we're going. She purchased them, they're great seats. She goes, I got them, and so... She didn't ask me, she didn't ask me what game, she just said, we're going. And, and, and I was stumbling around just like I'm talking right now. I was like beside myself, I, I, I bowed my head and I said, thank you, Lord, I feel like I'm in heaven. <laughs> it was so, so awesome. And it's not the first time it's happened recently. She just buy them, she just go, let's go. You know, if, if Mother's Day was not on a Sunday, we'd be going to the Mother's Day thing, you know, um, uh, f- with the Diamondbacks. She, she loves baseball. She watches baseball with me a lot now, all the time. I've had a tremendous influence on her. My point is, is that, is that I have watched a lot. I'm an expert in that television series thing called Downton Abbey. <laughs> But 
tell you everything about it because you should, but oh, she loves that stuff. I've watched it all. I know all the characters and I know the plot and the whole thing and I know everything way more than I need to know. But I love it because she loves it. Because she, you know, it, you, you, it, it becomes a part of who you are. Things like that, right? This passage of scriptures will, can tell us and teach us a few things just like that. You know, a lot of times we are tripped up, I'm gonna say um, trapped in the hidden meanings of the scriptures, in particular like this place in the scriptures, because uh, we don't have enough experience with the scriptures to actually understand, know, and get our arms around all of the truth and all of Matthew's intentions that he's trying to communicate or Mark or any other author of the scriptures. And there's so much truth there, but, but we don't spend enough time in it. We think that baseball is boring because we just never, we, we never engage with it enough to actually see and know and understand enough of it to fully appreciate it. And I'm not here to suggest that everybody's ridiculous because you don't, you don't spend enough, uh, enough time in the scripture, but I wanna inspire and motivate you to spend more time in the scriptures because there's so much there that you will never get your arms around of. You you will never know because we, 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 we don't give it enough of our lives and this is our mission and our mandate and our purpose in, in life designed by God and so the scriptures are that big a deal to us and a place like the Beatitudes can trip you up. Let me see if it's done this to you because it's done it to me. It's done it to me. I've fallen into this, you know, there, there, there was a time in, in my life when I was not a pastor, right? And, and, but I'm sure you've fallen into this, just like me, the trap is simple and it's subtle. Believing that Jesus, regarding the Beatitudes, and I know lots of you know what they are and, and, and understand some of them, even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church or the scriptures, you know uh, Jesus is uh, delivering these things in a, in a, in a place called the Sermon on the Mount, and it seems as though that Jesus is setting up conditions of blessings or receiving a blessing rather than actually blessing the hearers. It's like this. Maybe you know what I mean. When I hear the Beatitudes, it's hard for me not to hear Jesus as stating the term under which I might be blessed, okay? For instance, when I hear, blessed are the poor in spirit. Have you ever heard that one? For, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I tend to think, am I poor in spirit enough? Right? Am I poor in spirit enough for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them? I tend to think, am I poor in spirit enough? I should try to be more poor in spirit. Or when I hear the, the, the one called, blessed are the peacemakers, I'm like, I'm, I'm not that good at that, I don't think. I, I need to be more like a peacemaker, Right? I should be more committed to making peace. At least with the one that's like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. At least when I read that one, when I know that one, I, I, I have the assurance of knowing that on those occasions when I'm mourning, I will be comforted. But I gotta be perfectly honest. Just, I, I just wanna be transparent about that. If, if you'll pardon sort of the, 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 the pun or maybe a little bit of the sarcasm, it's a relatively small comfort because the truth is I don't want to actually mourn. Who likes that? I don't actually want to mourn, all right? And um, 
I don't want, uh, you know, so that, that beatitude doesn't make me eager to want to mourn <laughs> for additional mourning. And also that one uh, that talks about being persecuted. I, I, I don't want to be persecuted. So, so, so see, maybe it's just me, but I don't think that, I, I think we all get kind of tripped up into this. And I've heard too many people complain about the Beatitudes over my lifetime. And I, I think for years, because uh, they're, um, they're, they're subject to something that's going on here. And I think we have a hard time believing God wants to bless us. And I think we're being tripped up because we don't spend enough time to get the whole understanding of what is in the world is Mark doing with this. He's trying to communicate some things, and Jesus is too, and so it takes some work. I'm just trying to motivate you to read your Bible and utilize your Bible. It's really important to the Christ follower Mark chapter five, let's just look at a few verses here because we're gonna take each of these Beatitudes one at a time, one Sunday at a time. We're gonna take about nine Sundays because we're gonna skip it during Mother's Day. But, so there'll be eight of these that we focus on, but today we're gonna look at all of them together. I'm gonna help you um, understand its purpose and Matthew's purpose. So Mark chapter five, starting in verse one, it says, when he saw the crowd, so that's Jesus he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them by saying, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. It's Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. So, <clears throat> look, we're gonna we're start right now. And I wanna challenge you to read the whole gospel. When's the last time you took the, a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you just read it through all in one sitting. So you can kind of back up from a 30,000 foot view and get, uh, get the big picture and the full purpose of things, right? Try to encourage you to do that as we took almost a year to get through the Gospel of Mark. It's about, about nine months, actually. And, and, um, and so in order to understand this section of Scripture, I think you gotta read a lot of Matthew. There's nothing wrong with that. Work at that. And we can zero down on things eventually, and I wanna do that one verse at a time, but let's back up just a little bit, all right? So... Um, Flip backwards one chapter to chapter four, verse 23. Let me show you something. Matthew 4, 23. This is a summary statement of Jesus' early, or earthly, excuse me, ministry. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So one way to restate that verse would be to say that Jesus made his ministry to preach the coming of the kingdom, to teach the way of the kingdom, to demonstrate the purpose and the power of the kingdom by healing the sick, preaching, teaching, and healing. Now turn over to 
uh, Matthew chapter nine. And look at verse 35. Almost verbatim, you find the same summary. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Now, let me put some pictures up for you, because um, when we're in the gospel of Mark, uh, right, we found that Jesus launched his ministry in this area called Capernaum in Galilee, in North Galilee. This is what it looks like. Jesus could be sitting on the side of this mount, on the side of this hill, teaching his guys right here. This is a very common place. The picture is taken from a place called the, um, the Mount of Beatitudes, all right? So I took these great pictures because you get to see the Sea of Galilee, right? And from an arena in modern day Israel, right, in, in this area near Capernaum, right, where Jesus could have been teaching. This is right in the same arena where he would uh, feed the 5,000 and call his disciples that are fishing out there and walking along those places and grabbing his guys and saying, hey, I'm going to turn you into fishers of men, okay? All these places right here, this is where uh, all this happened. I just like to put that in context because when Jesus started this revolution to turn things upside down, when God sent his son, Jesus, Messiah, to earth to connect with us, right? Because God knew, there's no way these people are gonna be able to be in my presence because of their sin. When he started this revolution to change everything, to call his 12 guys to um, just destroy the temple, get rid of this old covenant and the, and the system of sacrifices and all that and build a new temple right here in our hearts. He started this revolution in this area right here. It's where he started preaching in the synagogues and he took it out into Peter's house, right? And he started preaching there and healing people. This is where he launched it all. And isn't it interesting? Uh, last week, we, 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 we heard when the angel revealed to the women at the tomb and said, hey, I want you to go tell the, tell the guys, even Peter, tell them that I'm on the move and I'll meet them in Galilee. I'm alive, Right? I'll meet him in Galilee. He didn't go to Jerusalem. That's over. That's gone. The temple's up. Yeah, that's not where it is. That's not the center of everything anymore. This is where I want to go. It, it represents all kind of freedom and the new covenant in the way Jesus wants it, right? So this is where he's at. This is where he started this whole revolution. And I realize we're kind of circling back now into Matthew's perspective of all these events that we took a long time to go through, all right? So... Now you have these two descriptions, all right? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing disease and all this affliction. So then when you look to see what's sandwiched between those two verses that I showed you in chapter four and chapter nine, those two summary descriptions of Jesus's ministry, what you see is two major sections, chapters five through seven, a collection of Jesus's teaching called the Sermon on the Mount and chapters eight and nine are a collection of the stories mainly about his healing ministry. So what it appears um, we have is a five-chapter unit designed by Matthew to present us first with some typical teaching of Jesus concerning the way of the kingdom and second with some typical healings and miracles to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. And the reason why I point this out is because I think this is what Matthew's trying to do 
There's value in seeing that this, uh, that, and it warns us that you can't just treat this little section in this little piece of scripture separately. Bringing you all the way back to the beginning where I'm trying to get you to read the whole thing and not just get bogged down in some of the verses sometimes. And not that you can't start there. It's a little bit like math, right? If you just like skip ahead to algebra and you never get those general concepts, basic math, you're, 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 you're gonna get stuck. Or if you miss the first two classes in college in freshman algebra, you miss those first two or three, forget it. You know, it takes a lot of work, right? It builds on each other. And the, and the story is like that too. The presentation that Matthew gives us, it's all about that. Put it in the whole context. Matthew's got some purposes here, and so does Jesus, by the way. It's brilliant in Matthew's way, just like it was brilliant when, in, in Mark's. Now, look at chapter five, verse one. Here we go, the crowds and the disciples. Now it's gonna, I think when you get that under your belt a little bit, it's gonna be helpful. See, verse one says, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, Okay, so it says in verse one that he began to teach the disciples, but look at the end of the sermon in chapter seven, verses 28 and 29. Look at the end. That's why it's so important to read more than just the Beatitudes or you're gonna get trapped and misunderstand things. At the end, chapter seven, verse 28 says, when Jesus finished saying these things, that was a long sermon, by the way, so I don't wanna hear you complain about how long mine is. There's a bunch of chapters. All right, so when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching. Okay, the crowds, see that? The crowds. Because he taught them like one who had authority, not like they're experts in the law. So it's clear that the crowds were listening and Jesus wanted them to listen even though the sermon is primarily addressed to professing Christ followers. That's the point I'm trying to make. You might miss that if you just read this section. Might miss that there's actually more than the disciples there. His intention is to teach the disciples. There's all these people listening in while he's teaching them. I love it, actually, and I want to mention this by way of our Sunday services because actually that's my heart, too, and that's the way we kind of design Sunday mornings here, believe it or not. We try really hard to... And my purpose is that when I'm studying, I want to draw the truth from the text and I want to go here. And I want you to grapple with it and understand it. I want you to be uh, inspired, motivated, and challenged, in particular as disciples or followers of Christ. But I also know that there's lots of people here who've been invited, who are coming, who are seeking, who've got questions, who are skeptics, who bring all kinds of things across that bridge that uh, I haven't read a lot of the Bible, all that kind of stuff, that are listening in as well. You see, this is what Jesus is doing. He knows there's people listening in. He's purposeful about it. It's brilliant. Primarily, the word is prepared to feed and strengthen and inspire the worship and life of God's people. But I, am, I pray more and more that, there are, that curious people come and people just observing Searchers, skeptics, seekers, doubters, all come to Veil Christian the way the crowds gathered around the disciples on the side of that mountain. That's what, we're, that's what we experience every Sunday. So we should be purposeful about that. 
So the sermon begins with the disciples gathered at the feet of Jesus and with the crowds listening in. Really key. Makes a lot of sense then in what Jesus is saying. Jesus begins with pronouncing a certain kind of person blessed. It's awesome. Now, look, there are, there are versions that call this happy. And it's, you know, it's only somewhat accurate, mostly because of the way in our culture we define happiness. So I don't think it's good to utilize that word because it's, it's just not, a, not most accurate. I, I'd rather use the word blessed. But we call these pronouncements beatitudes. So here's how the whole group is put together. Eight beatitudes, one unit. Eight. Okay, that's the next point. Look at verse 11. There are eight beatitudes worded in the same way. Verse 11 could be viewed as the ninth one, but it's really an expansion of verse 10. So here's some more information. I don't want to be too technical, but this is a big deal. Verse 11 could be viewed as a ninth beatitude, but it's not. It's just an expansion of verse 10. Let me show you. It's worded differently from the others. It says, blessed are you when people insult you. Not the way the others are. Um, um, The others say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Does that make sense? The insulting word in verse 11 is a specific instance of the persecution in verse 10. That's why it's, it's like just a form of the persecution. So that's why it's kind of the same thing. See, you just have to spend enough time there. So you can see that the eight Beatitudes, hang with me just for a little bit, of verses three through 10 are a unit when you look at the first and the eighth one, okay? Notice the promise of the first Beatitude in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And notice the promise of the eighth Beatitude in verse 10 You got to be looking at it, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both of them have identical promises, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the other six are sandwiched between these two. They're all different. Verse four, for they'll be comforted. Verse five, for they will inherit the earth. Verse six, for they'll be satisfied. Verse seven, for they'll be shown mercy. Verse eight, they'll see God. Verse nine, for they'll be called the children of God. So here's what we have. Future promises sandwiched by present assurance. Now what, what, all right. So first, by sandwiching six promises, and promises are a big deal, in between two assurances, we like assurances, we want to be sure of things. Such people have the kingdom of heaven. So I think Jesus means to tell us that these six promises are blessings of the kingdom. In other words, these six things are what you can count on when you are a part of God's kingdom. He wants us to know that. You can count on these things when you are a part of God's kingdom. When you surrender your life to Jesus and you become a true believing Christ follower, This is a part of the kingdom that you are ushered into. And these things, this is what the kingdom brings. Comfort, earth ownership, satisfied righteousness, mercy, a vision of God, and the awesome title, children of God. That's what the kingdom gives you, grants you. You don't have to pick and choose among these promises. They all belong to the kingdom. So who do they belong to? They all belong to the Christ follower. 
Now that's the first implication I see in the fact that Jesus brings, it begins with assurance. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them and, he, and then he ends with the assurance, right? The kingdom of heaven belongs to them with these six promises sandwiched in between. Here's the second thing. A present yet future kingdom now, what, it, what do you mean? Well, there's, there, this pattern comes from the fact that the first and last assurances are present tense. It's okay, we're talking about English and, and, and all that and grammar and, 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 and all those things, but it, it, it is important. And the, the sixth and the middle are future. So the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, verse three and 10, but they will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. So in verse four through nine, I think this is what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of heaven is present with the disciples now. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them, right? But that the full blessing of the kingdom will have to wait for the age to come. They will inherit the earth. Another way to put it is that Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth in his own kingly power and fellowship and we can enjoy a taste of it. But we will experience the full meal later when when we're with him, okay? Does that make sense? So this joy is a taste of the promise. Comfort. There's no joy without some elements of comfort kind of thing, right? Being comforted. There's tons of examples. Verse four says, those who mourn will be comforted. God will wipe away all these tears. We know this from Revelation and death and there won't be any more of that stuff and there's not gonna be any mourning or crying or pain anymore. But verses 11 through 12 in chapter five, right? And it's blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven, right? In other words, even though the final reward is com uh, of comfort is kept for us in heaven, you can now rejoice even in the midst of suffering. So this joy is a taste of the promised comfort. You're going to get comfort here. There's no joy without some element of comfort. How about mercy? Just look at that just really quick. Verse seven, it promises they'll be shown mercy. But in the parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew records that the king says to the evil slave, um, should you have not shown mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed it to you? And remember, uh, it's, a, it's a great story, a great parable. Uh, the guy's given all kinds of forgiveness by the king and he's, and, he's, and he's released. And then when he goes out, he doesn't show the kind of mercy that he was shown. All right, that, that whole story right there, that's amazing that's amazing because Jesus teaches that we don't wait for the age to come to receive mercy or to give it out. It's common Jesus, we taste it here and now in forgiveness of sins and many blessings of life, we experience it now. That's, that, that, that's the point. How about being called the children of God? Think about this for a minute. Being called the children of God. Verse nine, it, it's a promise, right? They'll be called the children of God. Paul says in Romans 8, we, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons or children, right? The redemption of our bodies. So the full benefit of being children of God, it awaits the resurrection. But look at when you go to Matthew 5, 16, just in this chapter, Matthew uh, teaches us, um, uh, right? Let your light shine before uh, men. Or Jesus is saying this. Let your light shine before people so that they can see your good works or see your good deeds, and give honor to your father. 
God's already our father. We are already his children. We don't have to wait to become his children. We have a taste of being children now. Okay, now this is, the point of these three examples is that the kingdom of heaven is both present and future. That took me a long time to get. That took me a long time to understand. It's hard to explain the kingdom and how it works. It's both here at hand, now, and in the future as well. Present and future. We have a taste of the reign of God now, but we will experience a lot more in the future. And I think this is why verses 3 and 10 assure us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. But verses 4 through 9 promise that the kingdom blessings are still in the future, it's both. It's both. Here's the most important lesson. And one of the most important things that you can learn about being a Christ follower, I think. Are you ready? Without this kind of insight, the Sermon on the Mount simply can't be understood. It's really hard to understand it. What, what are you going to do with Matthew 5, 7? Well, this insight that the kingdom blessings of God's mercy are both present and future. It says, blessed are those, uh, are, are the merciful, for they'll show, be shown mercy. Does this mean God withholds his mercy until the future day? You know, when we stand before God and, 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 and we wait to see if we've been merciful enough to earn his mercy? That's what it looks like it says. But that's not what it says because that'd be like, we would have to work. We'd have to do something to earn mercy, to earn God's favor. If you know the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew chapter, you know, 423 or 2440, that is if you know the good news that the kingdom has already come and is now work at work, gathering his people into the kingdom, if you know that the power of the kingdom is already present as well as future, then you know that our becoming merciful is right now a work of God's kingly mercy in your life. You own it, you possess it, and you should be handing it out like candy because it's already there. That's what you get when you surrender your life to Jesus is mercy. Now, you can biff it and not use it well. You can stifle it, you can do all, you know, but you own it and you possess it. So it is something to be celebrated. It's part of what Jesus is doing here. See, that's the point. The king said in Matthew 18, 33, Jesus said, should you, uh, uh, um, which is in his parable, right? Should you not have shown mercy to your fellow slave just as I showed it to you? Remember the story? God's mercy enables us to be merciful because he's been merciful with us. The power of mercy of the kingdom has already come in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's not waiting like a judge at the end of the age to see whether or not we're going to be able to earn his mercy and then show us mercy. He shows mercy now. That's, that's a big deal. So mercy of the kingdom is already in the world. The mercy of the kingdom is in the world, drawing people to Jesus. And God wants to do that and is doing that through you. When you surrender your life to Jesus, hopefully you understand then, you begin to understand your mission, your mandate, your purpose, and how you are to give away what you've got. That's, that's, that's our purpose. To preach and teach the, this good news, to bring the good news. Remember the women at the tomb last week? 
I mean, they, they, uh, they were devoted in love and they, they, the obstacles, pfft, you know, whatever. They talk about them, but they didn't stop them. They just went. They knew they weren't going to be able to roll away that stone, but they didn't stop them. They were going anyway. They just went right in there. They were stupefied and the, they were given a mission and what they do. They couldn't even talk. They couldn't even speak. They were just, ah. But they went and they ran. They ran. They ran, right? They had a mission and a purpose and all these awesome things. That's the point of these beatitudes. You're blessed, Jesus says to Peter, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. God's not waiting to see if Peter recognizes the Messiah. He did recognize the Messiah, but he, uh, Jesus says his eyes were opened by the Father. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Simon. God has, is what he says. God does all this work. You didn't choose him first. He chooses you, John 15, 16. You didn't come to him first. He drew you. God does all this work and he uses the Christ follower, his disciples, and all this mercy, mercy. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy and has installed it in us. Try to grasp this and make it a part of your very being. It seems like the scriptures are inconsistent about this, but they are not. It's the fabric of biblical life. We're made new by the mercy of God. He makes us new. He transforms us. We are set apart by the mercy of God. See? So you got to see the Beatitudes for what they are. What are they? They're the biblical fabric in our lives. You're not going to be able to understand them for what they are unless you see them as fabric. They are a celebration. So now here we go. Here's the red dot in the middle of the target. They are a celebration of how fortunate people who've been drawn by God and come to Christ and confess Jesus as Lord and have been transformed and changed. They are a celebration of those people who already possess the power of the kingdom. The Beatitudes are announcements that people like this are blessed and really fortunate. Oh, one of the things that caused me to fall in love with Linda was her testimony. <laughs> it was really inspiring. And we would talk, she has such a big family. Five sisters and two brothers and just, you know, boatloads of kids and children and cousins. And it's just a huge family. And... And she would say, you know, my family by and large don't know Jesus and I don't know why he chose me, but he did. He chose me. He chose me in the midst of all these people. You know how she described it? I am blessed. I am so fortunate and I can't understand it. I can't get my arms completely around it, but I am. And so you know what? I'm going to represent him in an as best I can. That kind of thing drew me, I mean, there's a lot of things, but that drew me into, in, in, into falling in love with her. You see, the disciples sit at Jesus' feet and they hear his words of congratulation, guys. You're really fortunate, brothers. 
You're, you, how fortunate you are to be chosen by God, to have our eyes open, to be drawn to the Savior, to be poor and mourning and meek and hungry and merciful and pure and peaceable. Give thanks. Rejoice. Give thanks, guys. You're this kind of person it's not on your own doing. You didn't have anything to do with this. It is God's reign in your life so the disciples hear the Beatitudes of words of celebration about the work of God in their lives. But what about all these people that are all listening in on this and all around and the crowds around them? How do they hear the words of celebration? How should they hear them if they're not poor in spirit and they're not mourning or meek or hungry for righteousness or merciful or pure or peaceable or any of that stuff? What do these words mean to them? They're not celebrations or congratulations. If, you, if, if, if you're a part of this crowd and you're witnessing all this and you're hearing about all this, I think that you are, I think that you want this stuff. I think you're going, wow, I would, I would like all those things. Not everybody, I, there, there's definitely people that are kind of turned off and this is not for them and they, they, don't, they don't buy into it. But I think, I think that what's happening here is, I, I think it's an invitation, I think it's a call to become that kind of person for all those folks. It's a call, it's a challenge, it's, a, it's, a, it, um, it's an encouragement, it's an admonishment to become those kinds of people. I think that's what Jesus was doing right there. Maybe not, but for some, they do, and their lives are transformed. So it becomes a transformation to those sitting around. I want, I, I, I want this. I want this, and God begins to draw them in. So if these things don't do that for you, you should pray that God would because, uh, and, and not leave you in such a harsh condition without desiring to be this kind of merciful and peacemaking and all those kinds of things. So the Beatitudes are words of celebration for his disciples. People have been awakened by the presence and power of the age to come and the, and the kingdom and their words of invitation for the crowds, the people who come to worship out of tradition, out of curiosity or skepticism. I mean, quite honestly, there's, there's a lot of those kind of folks here last Sunday. We definitely more than doubled in attendance. This is crazy. Every church in on the planet pretty much did, right? It's not exactly that way this Sunday and it's, it's that way in almost every church on the planet as well. It's okay and I'm not really critical. I'm just happy that, that people come and they get to hear the transforming message. Not everybody embraces it. Lots of people sat in our midst and heard an invitation. Some are transformed. I prayed with several people last Sunday to receive Christ. It was amazing and their life was transformed by the power and the mercy of God. What are the Beatitudes for you? Are they celebration? Invitation? True transformation? I don't know, I can't see into your heart. Only God can do that, but this is what I suspect he does. When you hear the truth, this is the way the Holy Spirit of God works. He begins to knock on your heart in a way that you're like, I don't know what that is, but it feels different. It can feel uncomfortable, it can feel convicting, it can feel like there's something in your stomach going, ugh. It's God the Holy Spirit saying, I want you. That's, that, 
it's, it's universal when God draws you and he knocks on your heart. That's, it, just, it just sort of happens like that. He's penetrated your mind. He's gone straight to your heart and you're like, what in the world? And you connect it to this kind of truth that sets you free. And he says, I want you. And I'm telling you, that's where you get to this place where you're like, I'm recognizing, oh, it's, it's starting to come together. I am sinful. I need a savior. This, is, this whole thing is about Jesus. This is why he's here. This is his purpose. There's no way I'm going to be in God's presence without coming through Jesus. That's why God sent him. And if you will surrender your heart and your life to Christ and say, yeah, I'm tired of going my way. I'm ready. He will transform you just like that. It's a confession of, I'm, I'm in desperate need of a savior because my sin separates me from God. This is truth. See, it changes you, transforms you. Bow your head with me. Lord, teach us through the Beatitudes. Man, I'm praying, Lord God, that you would not, not hold back. Help us read it all to be inspired and motivated to spend time in the truth. Open our eyes. We are grateful, those of us, God, that, that are blessed and fortunate this is a celebration. Thank you, Lord, because there is no mercy in natural me. I am not a merciful person. Thank you, Lord, that you've installed this in me, enabling me by you, through you, to be a merciful person. I see it happen all the time where it wouldn't, it, it, it wouldn't come naturally. Thank God. Thank you, God. I am so fortunate. I am so not necessarily a peacemaker either. And, 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 and a boatload of other things. These are mine though, God. Because I'm in the kingdom and that's where they rest and that's where they're put for me. Thank you. If your heart's bowed before God and these are not yours and you know it and you're being honest with yourself, they can be yours. It's an invite. Maybe God, the Holy Spirit's ready. He's knocking on your heart saying, I really want you. You can stiff arm God right now and say, Nope. I'm not ready. Or you could just let go, put up the white flag, surrender, and let him in. And he will transform you just like that. If that's you, that's the purpose of these messages in Jesus' sermon. Right here and now, and the purpose of Vail Christian Church. That can be you. There'll be some people standing over here under these screens afterwards. You can pray with them tell somebody. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.